Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Jason and I are here at this beautiful colony spa resort, and there's an old man trying to throw himself into a fire and a <laughs> young woman with a lot of cleavage who's given me the wolf eye, if you know what I mean. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Just don't call me a meatloaf, okay? All right, everybody. We are back with part two of the Howling versus American Werewolf in London. 40 years old this year. Part of our Halloween October spectacular. Can't wait to jump back into this. These two movies are spectacular. Love both of these movies. American Werewolf in London versus The Howling. Here we go. Okay, so let's just talk plot versus plot on these two movies. All right. Yeah. Okay. So with the howling, just for those of you who haven't seen it in a while, what you get is a woman who is investigating what appears to be a serial killer. Right. Right. We come in on that. Right. And he is giving her phone calls and telling her to meet him at a certain spot. And it ends up being like a little porno video place where you can go and watch the movies in the back room or whatever. So she goes in the back room and he's in there and he's there to talk her and then the police who are supposed to be going along they are showing up pretty late and it's he starts to change into the wolf although you never see that and then the police show up and the young dumb policeman starts shooting through the door and it appears that her attacker is killed right for the whole movie almost you think this could just be a serial killer and you've got this investigation of this serial killer, but then she's going through this. She's gone through this traumatic experience. She can't remember what's happened. There's this psychiatrist who says you should come to the colony, which is where I treat all of my special cases. She and her husband go to the colony. There are weird wolf sightings that are going on while meanwhile, her friends, the reporters are investigating the serial killer. And ultimately they discover his body is missing. Right. There's an actor we forgot to mention. John Sayles is the morgue mortician. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Who's like eating. Yeah. Eating. eating Stuff never bothered me. Yeah. (laughs) That is like the world's worst police work at the beginning of the howling. (laughs) Let's let a woman walk in, lose total contact with her, Mm -hmm. hang out with a guy we know is a serial killer. Right. And where does she go? I'm not sure. Did she turn this? Which way? It's like the three stooges. Right. Are trying to keep track of where she is. And I think they kind of tried to keep the idea that it was a werewolf a little bit of a secret. Like they wanted that to be kind of a reveal that, it, hey, this is this guy wasn't just a serial killer. He was a werewolf. But they think they, they're dropping plenty of hints. Sure. Right. His voice changes. Yeah. As it turns out, he's escaped from the morgue. The dead has risen. And meanwhile, her husband gets attacked by a wolf. And that's when we see the first change scene is whenever he starts to change while he's making love with this other woman who's obviously also changing. We know, okay, here, there are a couple of werewolves involved here, right? Once he becomes a werewolf, the doctor won't let them leave because her husband has been bitten. Right. And then next thing you know, the entire werewolf colony is focused in on eating Karen. Right. As it turns out, the entire colony who we thought were patients are 
all, They're all werewolves. werewolves, right? That is the true big reveal at the end. Even the kindly old sheriff, Slim Pickens, turns out he's a werewolf too. That was so unsettling for me to see Slim Pickens with those sharp teeth. Right. I mean, he was just the funny sheriff from Blazing Saddles to me. I didn't want him to be a wolf man. Yes. And ultimately her friend, friends come up to rescue her. Friends come up. One is killed. The other ends up saving her by grabbing some silver bullets and shooting away and they ultimately escape, but she's bitten. And the final scene is her doing a broadcast from the newsroom live and changing into a werewolf on live TV. She turns into an Ewok on live TV. Yeah. And <laughs> I found out this is D Wallace's doing, by yes. the way, yeah. she, she was like, I don't want to be an ugly wolf. I want to be a, a, a cute one, a cute one. Well, fail on both of those. I yes. think you were neither ugly nor cute. You were just ridiculous. looking. She looked like Chewbacca's wife. <laughs> okay. So a couple of things you, you mentioned in it that I just want to talk about really quick. Okay. Uh, her friend, Terry gets attacked by a werewolf. He chases her into a cabin. She manages to cut off his hand. Mm-hmm. And then you have this sort of, flopping hand effect that's unsettling but it does look like a kitchen glove a little bit right Right. we find out later who actually attacked her because he's missing his hand right later they all get trapped in a barn so that you can either kill them by silver bullets or by fire that's the only two ways and her friend dennis dugan shows up he had purchased the silver bullets and they're like go ahead and shoot tough guy and he's like he's dropping them they're like oh crap oh crap silver bullets (laughs) Okay, so that's the howling. Yeah. Solid storyline. It's right? it's really good. It's, it's gripping. The reveal that all of the patients are actually werewolves is a pretty strong reveal. Yes. At some point, she ends up confronting Eddie Quist again, just as she happens to come across his file in the medical office. Right. 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 And that's when you have the big change scene the most amazing change scene that anyone up until april of 1981 had ever seen that's where we get the reveal that he's actually a werewolf even though we've obviously seen some wolf things going on this is really the we see it happen we know what's going on she gets away by throwing a big splash of acid on his face that's just sitting right there conveniently convenient now let's talk about american werewolf in london Right. Comes out six months later. Okay. Okay. So storyline for American Werewolf in London. Right. You got a couple of kids who are doing their backpack trip to Europe, like a lot of American kids do. They're up in Wales, riding on the back of a sheep truck, and they get warnings. Stick to the roads, avoid the moors, beware the moon. Mm -hmm. Those are the worst instructions with dealing with a werewolf of all time. Well- and so they end up at a pub where all of the locals are not happy that they're there to begin with. The locals eventually relax and start telling jokes. And then they ask a question about a pentagram upon the wall. <laughs> Record scratch. They calls it, he calls it a pentangle. Thank you. Pentangle. He calls it a pentangle. Five-pointed star. Yeah. And then he quotes the Wolfman, Lon Chaney. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, these people are just Molly Crew fans. <laughs> so once again they're asked to leave and they're warned and there's all of this concern like we can't let them go you can't let them go and i agree how are you letting these kids go not only are they letting them go they're shunning them they're like get out right there's no food for you here so it's to be murder then then murder is 
Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. So then they're just walking on the moors and the wolf chases him down and kills Jack. Yep. And bites David. Yep. Before the other one's guilt became so overwhelming, they showed up with guns. Right. And shot and killed the beast. Right. Which I had to wonder. I'm like, they got to know this guy, right? Sure they do. I mean, he's not, when he's a human, he's not just wandering around naked out there. It's their guy. It's, they, they know this guy. It's their drinking buddy. I guess. I mean, it's kind of weird. That's an unanswered question, right? Yeah. Okay. So he ends up at the hospital in London. Wounds have been dressed, but he's having nightmares. He's also falling in love with his nurse, but he's having these crazy nightmares where the movie makes a big deal about him being Jewish. And Uh so he keeps getting attacked by like these dreams where his family is attacked by Nazi werewolves and stuff like that. Right. This is, and that's one of the uh, that's really an unsettling scene. That scene is amazing. The dreams may be the most unsettling part of the whole thing, other than that Piccadilly Circus car crash scene. But those are all kind of based on this movie called The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. If you want to go check out people who get lost in a dream within a dream. Because after that, you know, whatever the demon Nazis, after that dream, he wakes up, he tells the nurse what he's just experienced. And she's like, oh, I got just the thing for it. Opens up the curtain and there's another demon Nazi stabbing her, her twitching body. And he wakes up again because it was a dream within a dream. <laughs> and that part when he wakes up that second time is really funny after that dream his dead friend jack comes back and visits him yeah and he's all torn up and bloody and he's got this little dangling piece of skin on his neck and he's like guess what david bad news you're a werewolf you need to go ahead and kill yourself because i can't move on until you die because i died an unnatural death and so it's important that he's having these dreams because he's then questioning is this really happening or am i just having another of these very realistic dreams right am i just running through the woods naked and biting the head off of a deer yes so ultimately he's released from the hospital the nurse has kind of fallen for him so she takes him home but it's been at this point about four weeks it's time for the full moon to rise again right and so she leaves him at home the next day after a interesting shower scene and he spends the whole day bored and saying i'm not hungry right until suddenly he's reading a book tip in my hand here yeah that scene took the howling scene and stomped on it like it was a baby you're spiking the football on that yeah, I mean, one, it, it, it stomped on it like it was an ant okay like it was- <laughs> so baby's pretty bad thing to say <laughs> Well, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that scene in American World of London, Rick Baker made a huge difference. And that scene destroys the howling. Yeah. And so we'll finish the plot and let's just talk about those two scenes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he goes on a killing rampage. He kills a young couple who are going out to meet friends for dinner. He kills a man on the tubes. He kills three homeless Homeless men. Yeah. Yeah. And then wakes up in the zoo in the wolf cage. Right. Feels great. Yeah. Meanwhile, the doctor has been investigating the whole time. This is almost like a mystery. Yeah. Because when he's in the hospital, he's like the, the Scotland Yard shows up and says the maniac that you fought with must have been very strong. He's like, it wasn't a man. It was a wolf. It was a wolf. And the doctor's like, hmm, interesting. Yeah. And he's like, doctor, I'm not crazy. It was a wolf. Right. He said, my memory is fine. Uh-huh. So once he's <laughs> once he's managed to get naked from the zoo back over <laughs> to the nurse's house, 
That American man stole my balloon. A naked American man stole my balloon. <laughs> <laughs> he feels great and he's excited. And then the cab driver tells them, would you guys not hear about all the murders? People torn to pieces. And suddenly he realizes Jack is right. And he tries to get himself arrested without success. Then he tells Alex that he loves her and runs away so that he won't hurt her. He gives his family a I love you goodbye phone call, but he can't bring himself to kill himself. Right. Goes to the movie theater, sees Jack, sees his other murder victims, realizes that he's got to do it, but it's too late. The moon comes up again. He turns into the wolf again. He starts attacking people again. There's mass chaos, dogs and cats living together, huge scene and all of the police are called out with their guns alex runs down the alley where the wolf is to try to communicate with him we have this brief moment where she says i love you his eyes soften then harden he lunges the officer shoot and suddenly it's not a wolf lying dead but a naked david and she's sobbing hysterically and then Yep. And that was one of Roger Ebert's big problems with this movie is it abruptly ends. And man, it abruptly ends. But I think it's really cool. All right. So first, let's talk change scene. Okay. If you watch The Howling first, you're blown away, right? Yeah. It's amazing. It is not the time-lapse photos that you've seen in all of the other Wolfman movies. This is a guy whose flesh inflates you see the hair growing on him you see his fingers growing you see his nails growing rob botten did a fantastic job yes but it's also the first time it's ever been done right and so it's, it's like galaxian and galaga yeah you know the first one you're like wow this is great until you get galaga and you're like whoa yeah. So first problem, at some point, his head stops moving. The camera moves to give you the impression that the head is moving, but right. they didn't have a mechanism to make the head move and the change occur as the snout is growing. The eyes aren't quite right. That's the problem for away, me. Yeah. Right? It's the eyes. Yeah. And the bubbling flashes. It's weird. It's, it's unsettling. Weird. Right. It looks freaky. Yeah. But it's still an incredible change scene. Yeah. Right. But- it's almost as if he's enjoying. I, I'm glad that, you know, whatever Rick contributed to this that might have come from John Landis's original idea 10 years before, he didn't contribute that this was painful. Right. The guy goes through it and D. Wallace just has to stand there and look at it. Right. Which is also weird, but I've seen people frozen in fear before and I, this, maybe that's what's going on. One of the main things that you haven't mentioned yet that yeah. I want to point out yeah. in the howling, they're bipedal, right? They're on two feet. They're standing. They're like a seven foot tall mm -hmm. standing werewolf. And in American Werewolf in London, they're on all fours. It's more like a bear. Right. I know John Landis and Rick Baker had this back and forth on what would be better, what would be scarier. And up to that point, like the wolf man and all this stuff. They're That's, all bipeds. They're all bipeds. I love the bear. You like the the, wolf, the, four, the hound of hell. The, full, the hound of hell. Yeah. Yes. So it's interesting. In The Howling, they had made the movie without showing the full body wolf. Like you saw his head and you would see his hands and you would see, you saw the change, but it was all pieces. You didn't see that standing up full body wolf, but they ran out of money. Right. And so they went and they said, look at this. If you give us just a few more dollars, we can do the full-fledged wolf. And so the full-fledged wolf is the one you see where Terry is being attacked. And she had to go back 
you know, weeks after they had shot the original and do it. And she's like, um, my hair's a lot longer now. Right. And they're like, nobody's going to know. Who cares? They're going to know. How are they going to know? They're going to know. They didn't know. I had no idea until right. she said it. I was like, oh, her hair is longer. Holy crap. So it was only after they had done the puppet wolves, the, the head in the frame, those scenes that they got approval to do that full wolf standing up. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. So the change scene for American Werewolf in London, as we've talked about before, David is sitting there reading a the book and all of a sudden it's like, boom, it hits him. He's got a splitting headache, like incredibly painful. He comes out of nowhere and he's yelling and screaming in total pain. And that was something that John Landis created. You're not going to sit in a chair and just change it's gonna hurt and so he's screaming and changing he's watching in fear as his hand stretch and his body grows hair which rip baker talks about how he was so inventive that he's like you know what if we just put hair poke it through the skin and pull it through pull if it we, backwards. we pull it backwards if we reverse it it'll look like the hair's growing brilliant Oh, it looks great. And so they did a scene where David Naughton is, is a cut out through the floor. And so you have this weird body attached with his head and his hands and his arms. Transformation scene is incredible. So that scene where you see him lying on the floor and he's got kind of the mane, but it's still his regular face at this point. Yeah. And you, he stares right in the camera, right? He looks right in the camera and his eyes are red. Mm-hmm. No effect. The eyes were just red because he had been filming all day long and was completely exhausted. <laughs> That's good. We I don't know if we've even mentioned this yet, but as he's fighting and growing and, rawr, and turning into a werewolf and his face is stretching all that stuff, and you see kind of the side of the beast, right? But you don't get a full-on look at it. You really don't get a full look at it. You see him in the tubes. Mm-hmm. and in, Just for a second. Just for a second. And that scene is so scary. I want to talk about that, but before we get there, the howl, the sound that the wolf makes in an American War of London, it's among the most scariest things I've ever heard. It's perfect. It is absolutely perfect. Oh, man. In that beginning scene when he's chasing around the moors and you can't see him, but you can hear him. So we're watching these movies, right? Yeah. And I've been running. Yeah. And I go early in the morning to run. So it's still <laughs> dark outside. Yes. And never, I mean, done, you know, a hundred miles and not been worried about it until we start doing these movies. <laughs> I swear I'm running along and all of a sudden I hear in the bushes in the countryside. I'm like, oh, and my face was really good for that particular run. <laughs> You're like, ah, what is that? Hound of the Baskervilles? Yeah. Pecos Bill? Uh-huh. So the change scene in the howling, the head moves the whole time. Like you, there's no point in the change that I can look and I can go, okay, now we are just looking at animatronics. We're not looking at a human being actor anymore. As his face expands, I'm like, how do they, how do they do that? Right. It's not his, he's writhing around as if the pain is incredibly intense as the mouth is extending. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yep. So then. We never see him. Like you said, we never see him as the wolf until we get to the tube scene later that night. Yes. And it's great because you've got this very tall, gaunt guy get off of the tube, get off of the subway. And he's got this moment where he kind of looks around like, oh, I'm the only one here. I'm a man. I'm not going to be scared of this. You know, this right. you get the subtext to going through. And then he hears that noise, right? 
and he's like trying to talk. He's like, this isn't funny. We're calling the authorities. Right. And then he sees it, but we don't. Right. And he takes off running. You can tell he's like, (laughs) and I'm not sure. I think it's like a fisheye effect as you are the wolf. Right. You are in the position of the wolf running down the tube, chasing this guy down the hallways. As it goes by, it's just so terrifying. There's not one single person there at this time of day or night. Right. Apparently not. It's weird. And so he ends up collapsing on the escalator and you've got a very, very long moment as he's just laying there, apparently incapacitated on the escalator. I'd be crawling my butt up the stairs as fast as I could. And then you're looking at it from the top of the escalator. Right. And you just see the wolf just slowly. Like it's not a run in an attack. It's a, I know I gotcha step step. And that's the moment we see the wolf as the wolf for the first time. From a long ways away. Right. And Rick Baker said he knew that that was going to be a quick cutaway moment. He knew that they weren't going to show much of the wolf. It's that Jaws mentality of brief clips are more scary, right? Right. And so he said, I didn't want to leave it up to the editor to pick the right moment. So I made the face as scary as I could for that shot. Like it was already scary from the get-go. There wasn't any changing going on, you know, that with the animatronics, it was scary now so that he didn't miss it. That actor, the one who gets killed in the tubes, played Bib Fortuna, who is like (laughs) Jabba the Hutt's translator in The Return of the Jedi. For you Star Wars fans out there, that to me is awesome. Weak-minded fool. (laughs) Jabba sleepy. (laughs) (laughs) You will let me in now. I will let you in now. (laughs) Same guy. And so then we have scenes with the wolf as the quadruped, like you said. And the way they did that was Rick Baker thought of playing the game wheelbarrow when he was a kid, where you'd hold somebody by their legs and they'd walk on their hands. Well, he just created something where effectively that's what was happening. And then the back legs were kind of attached to the front legs. So it looked like all four legs were moving as they would with a running wolf. Yes. And you got a puppeteer just making the mouth chomp, chomp, chomp. Yep. And it looked great. Yeah. Look great. Yep. Okay. And because of Rick Baker's amazing work on this, he won the Oscars the first year that they ever had an Oscar for special effects. And Rick Baker won the first of seven wins and 11 nominations, most of any person in the world. Nice. Yeah. But it, they didn't create the category for American World for London. You know what they created it for? The Helen? No. What? The Elephant Man. Oh, yeah. That's right. Which had a young actor in it play the doctor, Mr. Anthony Hopkins. Yes. And the guy who played the elephant man was John Hurt. He was almost Hannibal Lecter. And he was also the guy from Alien. In Alien. Yep. (laughs) That guy. Yeah. All right. I got just a few tidbits on these movies that I want to talk about. And then we can talk about release, reception, final judgment. Sounds great. Okay. Okay. Just a couple of tidbits from the howling. Okay. One of the scenes at the beginning of the movie, Dee Wallace is in the porn shop. She was very uncomfortable as an actress in that porn shop. Midwestern girl. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not a set. It's an actual porn shop. Yeah. They used a real one. Yeah. Yeah. I saw online, there's some question about which wolf bit Bill, right? Like who bit Bill? Uh Uh-huh. At the end of the movie, she gets bit by Bill, her husband. Right. So he bites her, but who bit Bill initially? And the consensus is it's Marsha. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it makes, makes sense, sense right? right? Yeah, and that's how she knew to be out there, right? Right. And I don't think there's a right answer. I just found it interesting that they're 
the fans kind of argue about that. Right. Okay. Joe Dante does a ton of references in his movies, right? Yes. He's always throwing back to old movies. But in this one, he also did a ton of wolf-like throw-ins, right? Yes, he did. Yeah. And so I think Slim Pickens might be eating it. And there's definitely in the cabin is wolf brand chili. He is. Yep. And at the scene where she's reaching behind her as he's changing into the wolf and she's reaching for that acid, there is medicine right next to it called Wolfen brand medicine. Okay. And this one, I have not read anywhere else. I found this one on my own. I'm sure that it's probably out there. Somebody's you know, there's just no way you're going to miss this. Yes. But I happen to notice that her husband, Bill, is reading a book in bed when she comes to talk to him and is interested in fooling around. Right. And I looked up the title to the book and I was like, okay, well, this isn't about werewolves. I'm like, okay, well, who's the author? It was Thomas Wolf. Nice. That is a pretty deep. That thrill. is. How pretty about this thrill. one? Yeah. Dennis Dugan is watching a Looney Tunes episode. In the movie, yep. Pigs in a Polka, yep. where the big bad wolf is chasing them around. Right. Lots of wolf stuff. And the funniest line in the movie is in reference to Wolfman Jack. That's right. She's talking about hearing a wolf, and he says, honey, you're raised in LA. The wildest thing you ever heard was Wolfman Jack. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So Dick Miller is the one who owns the bookstore where they find out all the info about what's real about werewolves and what's not, right? Right. And as I mentioned before, he had been in a lot of Roger Corman movies. One of the biggest one was called A Bucket of Blood. His character's name in A Bucket of Blood, Walter Paisley, also his character's name in this one. In the bookstore, there's a mummified grandmother in an armchair in the attic of the house. It was the same one that they used in Texas Chainsaw Massacre because the guy who did all of the set design for the Howling was the same guy who had done all the set design for a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And if you go back and watch the Howling, thinking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. it's all the same taxidermy, bones hanging, all the same kind of stuff. Wow. Yep. Texas Chainsaw Massacre based on serial killer Ed Gein. Uh-huh. The characters of Norman Bates and Buffalo Bill were based on flashback to our last M yeah. psycho Silence of the Lambs. Yep. And Roger Corman is the guy waiting outside of the phone booth for her to get done with the phone call at the very beginning of the movie. Yes. All right. Let's flip back over to an American Werewolf in London. I got a few mind-blowing tidbits for you over there. I'm ready. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance with the stars up above. All right. So do you know the name of the porno that was shown in the theater when he transforms? You bet I do. Of course you do. It's called? See you next Wednesday. See you next Wednesday. Now, if you've listened to our Coming to America and Trading Places episode, you understand that in all of his movies, somewhere it says, see you next Wednesday. It also shows up in the Thriller video. Yes. That is directed by John Landis. Yep. And the makeup is done by Rick Baker. Yep. So kids, American Werewolf in London gave us Thriller. Michael Jackson was a big fan of this movie. Absolutely. And when he went to John Landis, he says, I want you to make me a werewolf. Side note, Stanley Kubrick, also a big fan of this movie. Really? Yeah. Cool. Okay. The music in an American Werewolf in London. Every song that you hear has the word moon in the title in some way. Yep. He had picked almost all of these songs back in the early 70s when he had first written the script. So you've got Bobby Vinton singing Blue Moon, 
during the opening credits. Right. When they have the lovemaking scene, that's Van Morrison's moon dance that's playing. Yes. Just before he changes, you get Credence Clearwater Revival's Bad Moon Rising. And then Sam Cooke sings Blue Moon when he goes through that change scene. Originally, John Landis had wanted to get Elvis's version of that song, but the colonel said, no way. So, (laughs) all right, Sam Cooke it is. And then maybe one of the funniest endings to any scary movie is when the Marcells doo-wop version of Blue Moon plays over the ending credits. Right. That's right. He also went really strong after Cat Stevens' Moon Shadow. I'm being followed by a moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow. And Cat Stevens, who had converted to Islam, said, no, I, you know, I don't like the subject matter of this movie. Also, I believe that there are actual werewolves. Gulp. Mind blown. Nice one. <laughs> Thank you. All right. The score of the movie was actually composed by our old friend Elmer Bernstein, who we've talked about multiple times. Yep. Ghostbusters, Animal House, all of those movies, right? Yes. Yep. Uh, family trading, friend. Trading places, right? Yes. Right. Got, got back into the movies because he was a family friend of John Landis's family. There are very few parts that have his music in it. Usually it's that it's, it's the popular music that's playing. Right. But all of the dream sequences have his music. And he composed a piece for the metamorphosis change scene. But John Landis said, no, we're not going to do that. Well, Elmer Bernstein eventually released a three-minute passage of it. And it was called Metamorphosis. Oh, cool. Here's something that I found. I had to dig deep for this. Okay. David, in the beginning scene when he's on the moors with Jack, mm-hmm. he's wearing a red puffy jacket. Yep. That red jacket was selected for him because John Landis wanted that to resemble Red Riding Hood. Yeah, that's great. That's Thank you. That's a great one. Good Thank job. You. Thank you. Okay. You ready for this tidbit? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So in the movie, David is trying to get arrested. So they'll throw him in jail. So he'll protect people from him wolfing out. Right. 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 So he goes up to a Bobby and he's like, you arrest me, you jerk. Arrest me. I want you to arrest me right now. And the guy's like, go away, go away. He's like, what do I have to do to get arrested around here? Queen Elizabeth is a man. Prince Charles is a F. Right. Yep. And he's running around going crazy. So he makes a derogatory comment about Prince Charles. Well, during the closing credits. Saw it today. Did you see it? Saw it today. Yeah. So during the closing credits, it says Lycanthrope Films Limited. Wishes to extend its heartfelt congratulations to Lady Diana Spencer and His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales on the occasion of their marriage, July 29th, 1981. How about that? Solid. Lycanthrope. 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 Comes, that word comes up in both movies. What is a lycanthrope? It is a werewolf. There you go. Nice. Okay. We talked to composers for American Werewolf in London. It's important to note that Pino Nagio was the composer for this movie, right? Okay. So the way that that worked out, he had done a bunch of movies, was a big composer for uh, Brian De Palma, but they had a low budget on this one. And basically they flew him in, had him watch the parts where they wanted music cues, and then he flew back out, composed it all. And send it back to him. There was no meeting there. It was it was a very thrown together kind of thing, which I think is hugely important for these two movies. Okay. So they bring him in to show him the movie and they're trying to talk about the musical cues, but he's Italian. Okay. And they don't speak Italian. Right. And so they've got a guy who's there who's going to help him, but he also doesn't speak Italian. He speaks Spanish. <laughs> well, Pino Danaggio also speaks Spanish. So you have two guys who are both speaking Spanish not 
their native language to each other, trying to figure out the film cues and what kind of music you want for each of these things. Right. Which is how you get the music that you get in this particular. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Before we get to final judgment D, I want to talk about one thing that we've kind of not covered yet. Okay. The movie posters for both of these movies are fantastic. Oh yeah. Like some of the best ever. Yeah. So in American Werewolf in London, you have the two boys in the dark, looking over their shoulder, looking at the moon. They're scared. It's dark. It's scary. There's no wolf. Nope. There's no cheesy wolf monster. Nothing. There. No. Just scared. Beware the moon. Right. Right. It's creepy. Yeah. The howling, you know, it's one of those things in the old days, the posters didn't necessarily have anything to do with the movie. Uh-huh. They just had to catch your eye at the video store. Yeah. The howling has a female figure hidden by like some like sort of screen, it's right? Like, yeah, it's like the the movie screen, and she it's like the movie screen. That's right. Yeah, and her fingers are tearing through. She's got broken fingernails. She's screaming. What is super it? effective? Right. Yeah. What is it? I don't know, but that caught my eye every time I passed it in the movie theater or at the blockbuster. The better of these two, I'm going with the howling. The howling has the better poster. Yeah. So I was thinking about. American Werewolf in London. And if you took out the wolf where you see the wolf for, you know, flash by yeah. at the very beginning and you take out the change scene. Yes. I would be fascinated. Like this could be just a crazy person, right? This could be like, we're really trying to figure out, is he really crazy or is he really a werewolf? And obviously with the title, you know what you're going to get. Sure. But it's a very compelling movie, even without what could be its greatest scene. And that's pretty impressive. That is impressive. Yeah. I, I, see, I see what you, you're saying there. And I also have to mention the two investigative detectives. Oh, my gosh. We didn't even talk about those Comedy guys. gold. <laughs> Comedy gold. When he steps back, knocks the bedpans over, and then <laughs> noisily tries to stack them together again. And the doctor is like... Tell him I died. What? Tell him I'm dead. <laughs> Comedy gold. The guy who's the clumsy cop and clearly the less experienced cop. Yeah. He's the better cop because he knows something's not right. Right. And the other guy keeps shushing. What? I think so. Are you suggesting the entire village concocted a story? <laughs> no, precisely. <laughs> okay. I think we've combed these movies thoroughly. Yes. There's a lot of wolf hair in my comb. <laughs> okay. I think it's time to say final judgment. Okay. You let's go. go. Final you judgment. Go. You go first. Okay. First of all, I love creature features. Okay. I, I don't, I'm not so much a slasher movie, but but the monster movies, I really love those. Okay. Yep. There's a couple of problems that I have with both of these movies. The howling, you know, you got the worst police work of all time at the beginning. <laughs> the idea that this reporter is going to go meet with a serial killer in a porn shop. It's just a terrible idea. Like no freaking way that would ever happen. Uh-huh. And then I, her transformation on screen is supposed to be super impactful and it's weird and it's, it, it's supposed to be shocking and it is, but it would have been better if she had turned into a wolf, you know, instead of an Ewok. Right. Okay. So set that aside. Okay. American Werewolf in London is a super high paced, very slick, fun monster movie. Yep. My only problem with it, mm-hmm. and it's, I think, a big problem. Yeah. There's no mention of silver bullets or fire. All it is is just the police just shoot this thing. Right. right. Well, they mention it. What? They mention silver bullets when he's, when they're talking to him in the porn theater about killing himself. He's like, don't I have to have a silver bullet? And he's like, come on, David, be real for a minute. 
while he's talking to dead okay. people, right? That's a ridiculous irony. Right. Well, so for me, this is a supernatural curse mm-hmm. that this man is dealing with. Yep. He has a supernatural transformation. Yep. The idea that silver would have some sort of supernatural effect on it is not too far-fetched for me. All right. If you just have a bear running around your neighborhood once a month, would you not just go get your rifle and go shoot it? <laughs> Right. So that's a good point. I wish that they had made a deal about, you know, silver bullets. Okay. So set that aside. Other than that, both of these movies are both fun, thrilling, exciting. The transformation effects are awesome and unsettling. I think American Werewolf is more fun. I find the characters more lovable. Mm -hmm. I basically fall in love with Nurse Price every time I watch American Werewolf in London. Sure. There's no extra. It's all killer, no filler. I am slamming the football down. American Werewolf in London is the best of these two movies. Okay. I understand. I understand. Be objectively talking about the two stories that we have. Yes. If you look at just story with American Werewolf in London, you have a guy who gets bitten by a wolf. That's a werewolf who then turns into a werewolf and then gets killed. Yes. And there's a love interest in that. Sure. And that's the whole movie. It's it. That's the whole storyline. It's not particularly complex. Okay. The Howling, you have what appears to be a serial killer on the loose who then attacks a woman who can't remember things, who then has to go to a colony of patients who, in all respects, appear to be there to try to help. She's talking to the psychiatrist to try to help. And investigation is going on about this weird serial killer and why nobody knows what's going on with him. And then suddenly at the end of the movie, after you've had some reveals about these people being wolfmen, you realize, oh my gosh, the entire colony that she's been at are all werewolves who are like forming this army to go out and be a part of the world. That's a much more compelling story. That story is awesome. But here's the problem. They had about a million dollars to make that story. That's right. They had $10 million to make American Werewolf in London, which was not as interesting of a story. John Sayles did a pretty good job with that script. Yeah. But it wasn't as well told as the simpler story. It wasn't as funny. It wasn't as well acted. And you can see the production value that comes through. And then the final nail in the coffin for the howling, even though in April, it was the greatest change scene you'd ever seen in your life. Come August, we had Rick Baker's change scene that he had been preparing for, for a decade. And it blew the doors off of the howling. And so sorry, the Howling, you are a fantastic movie for a million-dollar movie. One of the best. It's amazing that 40 years later, 40 years later, we're still talking about this yeah, movie. Yeah, that's right. But it can't compare to what John Landis gave us. And I think, among the other things that I've already discussed, the key is it's funnier. And I don't know why the studios had such an issue, but when you have things as shocking as what's going on with the murders and the guns and the demons and the wolves and all of these things, you have to juxtapose that with laugh moments, right? It has to be funny at some points. And John Landis knew how to be funny. It was great. I have to agree with you. American Werewolf in London wins the day, but you've got to give kudos to the Howling for doing what it did with such a low budget. Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, Dean, this week on our Shirley Showcase, my good friend Dave Dolphin, who is on YouTube, is a really gifted video producer. He's super funny. He comes up with these videos. 
I think he's calling it documenting my midlife crisis. When we started this podcast, we called a couple of people, but he was my first call. I took him to lunch. He gave me some advice on how to run a podcast. So I'm, I'm super grateful for him, but he wanted to weigh in on the Michael Jackson thriller versus Michael Jackson bad. That's episode one and two that we did a long time ago, almost two years ago. And here's what he had to say. Hey, long time listener, first time caller to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I love what you guys are doing. And especially as someone who is in his late 40s and documenting his midlife crisis in a very public way on YouTube, part of that whole process is nostalgia and looking back on previous seasons in our life. If there's ever an artist in a couple of albums that just could be the pinnacle of that idea of thinking back fondly of the 80s, it's got to be Michael Jackson and the Thriller record and Bad. Like when Thriller came out, I was eight. And so I was just starting to experience pop music and understand what it was and, and enjoying it and starting to have opinions on what songs I like versus other songs that I didn't like and listening to the radio and knowing the lyrics. And so as I'm experiencing all of this, I remember the guy coming to the house to install cable television. And now there's this thing called MTV that I can not only listen to these artists that I'm experiencing, but I can also see them and experience it in that way. I remember my buddy from down the street saying, hey, do you want to come over? I have the entire 15 minute thriller video recorded on VHS tape and we can watch that. I remember this album cover. My parents had a really large record collection and they would play music in the house quite a bit and this was definitely a staple of that and so I remember like these songs being played in the house and just seeing the album cover. I mean everything about this record there's so many emotional connections in my life to this record that even 40 years later are are still there. They are, they'll be with me until the day I die. Now fast forward to Bad and I'm in middle school and I remember a lot of these songs as I go through the track listing and I, I listen to it all. I remember it's like, okay, Dirty Diana, I remember that, Sweet Criminal, Bad, The Way You Make Me Feel. I remember all these songs, but not in the same way that I did for, for Thriller. Thriller was just creating magic. It was, there were so many things happening in the early 80s in terms of like where pop music was going and just some different influences that are coming in. You add in this new technology with drum machines and synthesizers and all of that, plus Michael Jackson you know, coming off the Jacksons and trying to kind of be his own person. Thriller was about creating magic. And then Bad was, as the career had just catapulted, Bad was about maintaining magic. And those are two separate things. In terms of did Bad maintain the magic? Did it continue to push his career forward as a creative, as a performer, as a music icon? I think it did that. But you think about where he was like where he was pushing things forward, so the risks that he was taking as a creative, as a performer, had more to do, I think, with like music videos and, and and he was pushing that forward instead of it just being the band performing the song live how can this be like a fully produced movie with a story and all of this where my song is the soundtrack to this movie he was also really trying to establish himself as like this sex symbol in just his place as a music icon in the industry and i don't know if that necessarily landed the way that he wanted to i mean you can sing i'm bad i'm bad you know it as many times as you want. I, 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 I don't see you as bad. Like, you're not the bad guy. 
you're the groovy guy. Can you be the groovy guy? Can you be okay with just being the groovy guy? Let Billie Eilish be the bad guy. That's more believable. I, I don't think it landed, but I do applaud him for taking those risks. But when it comes to the album, I think the album was more of the foundation to maintain that magic so he could push these other things forward. You know, I have teenagers, and so they keep me up to speed on, like, today's music. And a lot of things that's happening in pop music today with uh, Olivia Rodrigo and The Weeknd and Charlie Puth, I love where pop music is right now. But if I if we're in the car and we're listening to 80s on 8 and a song from Thriller comes on, if they hear Beat It or I Want to Be Starting Something or Billie Jean or Thriller, like, they know these songs. They sing along. They they weren't even around when it first came out, and they have these emotional ties to this record. I don't know if they could name one song off the bad record. There's a difference between creating magic and maintaining magic, and, and it's no small feat to maintain the magic after a record like Thriller, but you just can't ignore the powerhouse that is thriller so i think if this is the battle between michael jackson's thriller and michael jackson's bad i think that thriller wins this one yes i feel vindicated he's all right you're all wrong as usual (laughs) he's a music guy and he votes thriller for the same reasons that i vote thriller Although I will say this, my kids are probably more familiar with the songs off of Bad than they are off of Thriller just because of my bad parenting, but <laughs> he's still right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, Dave was a radio DJ, so he he knows music. He plays in bands. He's a very gifted musician, but we're not arguing which album had more cultural impact. Thriller wins the day on that. I'm just saying song for song, the better album bad you call me crazy yeah dave too (laughs) (laughs) dave thank you very much man we really owe you a lot thanks for all your advice and your help and and all that and thanks for weighing in today another vote for michael jackson's thriller album be sure and go check those episodes out and if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet if you haven't hit that follow button yet be sure to do that so that you get all of our future episodes as well thank you all so much for joining us we couldn't do it without you Awesome. All right, Shirley fans, that's where we come down on American Werewolf in London versus The Howling. Moon, blue, moon.